Buongiorno amici. Ben ritornati a Kimberly's Italy. Welcome friends and welcome back to Kimberly's Italy. My name is Kimberly Holcomb and I am here with my co-host Tommaso. Buongiorno belladonna. Come va? Bene, grazie. Oh my God, he's learning. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's staying up late at night learning little snippets here and there. It's a good thing, right? Uh, Come so DJ snippets and no, no, so I don't know the name for that. <laughs> oh wow, this is very exciting. Well, anyway, Tommaso is my co-host and podcast producer. Grazie Dio. I could never do all this technical stuff without him. And my partner in life. So, allora. Allora. <laughs> That's his other favorite word. Just means, well then. Well then. I say we... Can be used at almost any moment, yes. any for any, anything. Italians do use it a lot, and it's brilliant. Allora. We're carrying on with the epic road trip from top to bottom, north to south. And this episode is about Roma. Our first full day in Rome with Kitten Club One. We left you off last episode with the perfect evening we had upon our arrival at a typical Roman cuisine, family-run restaurant, ristorante that's been there for decades. And after that, we walked up to the top of the Spanish steps. It was just perfect. And it was the first time in Rome for these three other women. So, una cena perfetta. <laughs> oh, I sh not just a perfect dinner. I should say una sera perfetta. Perfect the, evening. The perfect evening. Bravo, Tom. What's going on? <laughs> Out of nowhere, these, these little snippets are coming. Good for you. Thank you, Louisa. Oh, that's right. He's taking a little, um, he's following Louisa on Instagram that we mentioned last episode. Louisa, I hope you're listening. Okay. <laughs> You've done a great job. Anyway, so we started our first official first day in Rome at an iconic coffee bar, which is housed in the former studio of the sculptor, the Italian sculptor, Antonio Canova. And he was Italy's most famous neoclassical sculptor. And for those of you that don't know, neoclassical period was like mid 18th, 19th centuries. And it was basically the revival of art and architecture. Classical. Classic. Classic. Art and architecture. There you go, neoclassical. Exactly. Canova brought on his favorite pupil, whose surname was Tadolini, and together they worked in this space, which he leased in 1818 until their deaths. And then after that, the Tadolini family kept the studio as it was until 1967. And now it's this coffee shop and aperitivo bar. They also serve lunch, dinner, but it is so unique to be in this it's like a museum, but not. You know how museums are perfect? Everything is pristine and perfect. This is a, like you're in their working sculpture studio. And you have a bunch of photos, don't you, of this? Yes, I do. So you're going to post those on Instagram. Okay. So people can see them. Okay, good idea. So anyone who doesn't follow Kimberly's Italy on Instagram, get your fingers, do the walking, get oh, over geez. there and follow. <laughs> anyway, Almost okay. Almost a DJ follow. Seguire. Seguire. Ooh. Anyway, so you are in, you're having a coffee, an espresso, a brioche. You can stand at the coffee bar. 
as opposed to sit in one of the various rooms that meander through this old space, whatever you like, it's a unique experience. And as I mentioned, it's you're in the studio that you can see their tools they still have in the little workshop area. I found it to be the most amazing way to start each day. And I actually went every single day. I'm sure it's famous in throughout Italy, yes. throughout Rome, Yes, but I didn't know about it. I just <laughs> found it and that was it. I was sucked in every day. I made everyone go. I loved it. And I even had our friend Marco Maximiliano meet us there. Uh-huh. Of course, he knew about it. Sure. Anyway, so for those of you that want to start your day or any part of the day in Rome, go to Antonio Canova on Via Babuino, which Babuino means baboon, just FYI. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so since it was, like I mentioned, the first time in Rome for these three women, we decided to do the greatest hits because they need to see everything once you're first there. But I think in order to be in awe of Rome, you really need to know some of its history because the more you know, the more astounding it is. And just think, if you didn't know this history until after the fact, after you were in Rome, how disappointed you would be because you didn't know what you were standing on or standing in or looking at. They'd been around since the first or second century. Exactly. So let me give you a little bit of history here and do more on your own. But just in case you're going to Rome next month, two months from now, I'll give you this little tidbit. So some say the city was established in 700 BC and some historians completely balk at that date. However, some archaeological digs in the past few centuries show that primitive settlements indeed were found from about 8th century BC. So regardless, 700 BC, 200 BC, 10 AD. I'm I'm not going unless it's at least like 7th century. (laughs) I I don't want to go. You already were there. Too modern for me. Right. Anyway, old, 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 filled to the brim with history, architecture, art, Everywhere you turn, it's just, don't want to say it. No, you, you can say it. it. It is It is just, it is truly just a mind-blowing visual experience. And So at some point during the Middle Ages, Rome fell under the political control of the papacy. And then in the 8th century, it was the capital of all papal states. But the good thing to come out of that was that most popes during the Renaissance wanted Rome to be the artistic and cultural capital of the world. So all the artists flocked to Rome and created all that extraordinary art and architecture, literature, engineering, you name it, during that papal state, during the papal control. It was, in the end, a good thing. And the Renaissance was this cultural bridge between the Middle Ages and modern history. And you get to see so much of that. Mm-hmm. That direct result from the papal control that made the Renaissance produce all this artwork. You see it every corner you turn, basically, in all of Rome. Then, with the unification of Italy, Rome was chosen to be the capital in 1870. And don't forget, it wasn't even a republic. Italy wasn't a republic till 1946. Right. But since 1870, Rome has been the capital of the country. So please think of all this history when you're walking around Rome or read more, but you never know. You could be 
You could choose to have a spontaneous gelato or an espresso and you're sitting on this stone wall. And it literally could be like from... 50 BC. Exactly. We'll go into that and when we come back. Right. So the more you know, I think the more in awe you will be. So there's your little history class for the day. Now back to Kitten Club One, first day in Rome. So we had that amazing espresso in the sculpture studio and we walked down to Piazza Spagna, which was right by our palazzo where we're staying. And Piazza Spagna is named after the Spanish embassy that's in the main piazza. And above that piazza was is the Trinita di Monte, a church up high on the hill. But that church was under the patronage of France. Therefore, a French diplomat in 1723 commissioned these steps to be built so people could get from the piazza up to the church. And then that was that. And it became very popular later in its history as a place to hang out and people watch. But the real reason the Spanish Steps should be famous is because it is considered the widest and longest staircase in all of Europe. It has 12 ramps and 135 steps made of travertine stone. So think of the millions and millions of people that have walked up and down those steps and they're the same travertine stone. Right. Right. You can just you can just imagine it as we did at night, which we'll talk about in the future, yes. but just people going by in cloaks and, and right. I mean, it was just it, it's it's wild to think that that still exists. Right. And I did go up that first night and then we went up every other night that we were there when mm-hmm. you came back with mm-hmm. the next group. It's just something you have to do. Right. And it's a good way to walk off gelato and, and pasta, pasta <laughs> multiple bottles of wine. Yes, it is. Anyway, so carrying on, again, we decided to do the greatest hits with the girls because they had never been. So we walked down to the Trevi Fountain. And the most important thing to note or think about when you're looking at the fountain is that its water source is from the Aqua Vergine, one of the most important aqueducts that transports the drinking water to the city. And historically, Romans have had this long-standing relationship with water and how to procure it for their citizens. I went to aqueducts and cisterns down in Matera. It's all over the country, basically. Anyway, they were very clever engineers and built aqueducts that carried the water from these seven hills surrounding Rome and flowed into the city due to, basically, the laws of gravity. Think of what they did in those days with without the tools that we have today. Yeah, there was no laser to sight something and drop it by two degrees every mile <laughs> across a hill. Oh, by the way, and this has to, you know, the engineering. But see, that's what I think of. No calculators. That's what I think no of. No CAD. Every time that you look at, like, let's say the Colosseum. Right. These obelisks. How did they do it? And I've never been to Egypt. I would like to do that and stand there in the same awe of engineering and architecture. It just blows me away. Anyway, so so the Trevi Fountain as it exists today was designed by a local Roman named Niccolo Savi, but it was completed by Giuseppe Panini. Maybe they named, you know, the Panini (laughs) after him. I'm not really sure. (laughs) Anyway, Niccolo Savi uh, won the contest proposed by Pope 
Clemente in 1730 to replace the centuries-old fountain that was there. It supplied the drinking water, but it was just like, you know, a pipe, basically, pouring out the drinking water. And my absolute favorite thing about the stately fountain is its location. You would think something so grandiose and impressive would be in this big, wide-open space for all to see from afar. But instead, it's in between these two small side streets with normal, you know, ancient two, three-story buildings, if that. And there's not much room between the fountain and the buildings. Therefore, it's always crowded. So the fact that Salvi designed this ornate, beautiful, incredible sculpture fountain all around Oceanus, who was the god of the Titan god of Earth's fresh water. He designed it knowing it was in this teeny little space. So that is mind-blowing. And even as you're walking there, it's a little hard to find your way if you're not completely, you know. um, Well, it is tucked away and you've got to know where you're going. Right. But the thing is, you all of a sudden you come upon it. You don't hear the water. You don't see anything. You just... Just turn the corner and see the mob. But the mob is... Looks like more like a mob because of the, the confined, small, right, confined, the space. confined space. Right. But it, but it is very popular. It is very and popular. crowded for a reason. Yeah. It's, it's stunning. Beautiful. Yes. But walking by there at night is a must, in my opinion. It's more. It seems like the water is more blue. That probably from the lighting. But it's quiet. There were maybe two, three people there each time I walked by at night and late. You know, like midnight. And then you see the sculpture more. Right. It's just absolutely stunning. So then we left there. And next up on our greatest hits list was the Pantheon. And the walk from the Trevi Fountain to the Pantheon makes me bring up another Kimberly's Italy travel tip. Okay. <laughs> I think we should have a little musical note, its own special. We should drop it a little bit of a little bit of a drum roll. Yeah for a travel tip. And here it is. As I mentioned, we were walking from the Trevi Fountain to the Pantheon, meandering, dizzying little streets to try and find your way there. And I had not been to Rome in several years, couldn't remember exactly the nicest route to go or just basically how to get there. So I, on my phone, put uh, the Pantheon in Google Maps and it showed where it was and where we were at the Trevi Fountain. So I chose the direction option. And here's the travel tip. I highly suggest not choosing the little man walking option as opposed to, you know, when you do a direction on Google map, you have the options of driving, public transportation, or walking. I chose the walking. And within, oh, 30 meters, you are just so confused because I think there's a lag time between the satellite connection and you take, you're walking five meters on this little street and you take a left to the next one and then it resets itself and then it's telling you to turn around and go back. It was frustrating. So my travel tip suggestion, which comes from experience, don't do it. Just look at the map like an old fashioned map and figure your way out. Or go old school. And we did go old and school. And just get a map. We did. A real map because, you know, it's actually kind of fun to get lost sometimes. Oh, of course it is. But the I think the funniest part about this map we bought, which was 
slightly laminated. It could still fold up. It was great. But then we'd have to get our, our glasses <laughs> to yeah. read it because yeah. it was so small. No, there's no zoom on that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyway. Like the supersized map, like the iPhone right, for, for, Plus. <laughs> anyway, so that's my travel tip. Just find your way the old-fashioned way. Don't use the little man. Okay. All right. On to the Pantheon. Carry on. My, well, I should say one of my favorite buildings in the world is the Pantheon. And the name Pantheon itself is of Greek origin and means to honor all gods. It was built initially around 126 AD as a Roman temple. And do think of that when you're walking around 126 AD. 126 AD. And you and I walked around the back of it. We came up to the back of it at night in, in the pitch black didn't look like much from the back well it looked old for yes, sure old, but it was very mass it was it, it was, was a big heavy. mass heavy and brick yeah i was thinking interesting maybe those got put on at a later date no no really from 126 ad originally it was built with concrete the dome and brick so there you have it some of those bricks might have been replaced since 126 ad right, right, but right. still can you believe that anyway no one is completely sure who the architect is, but I do remember this to this day in an art history class in college. The first thing that my art history professor said about the Pantheon was that fact. No one is sure who the final architect was. Bye. However, during the Renaissance, when Michelangelo went to Rome for his first time and saw the Pantheon, he said, Quote, this was not designed by man. This was designed by angels. Sound effects of choir of angels. <laughs> Cue the angels. Anyway, I remember that quote as if it were yesterday. And Michelangelo, I will say a little side story here. Michelangelo was very complimentary to all artists. I mean, he complimented the doors of the baptistry in Florence and said they looked like they were fit for the gates of paradise. He was a he was a upstanding artist, a good man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the mind boggling thing about the construction of the Pantheon, and again, let's keep in mind this is during 126 A.D. They constructed the 142 foot wide dome, which is the largest unsupported and unreinforced dome in the world to date. Let that sink in. Can I borrow an abacus? <laughs> how do you think? I mean, how do you figure out that engineering at that point? No kidding. And that's the killer. Like no one really knows who did this. No right. one knows who designed it. Right. Anyway, the walls of the Pantheon are 20 feet thick. And that is what supports the dome and has for all these years. But there's no vertical columns like in other large domes that support it. And as I mentioned, it's made of concrete and the rest of brick. And another shocking fact is that the Corinthian columns, the 16 Corinthian columns out front that support the portico weigh 60 tons each. And they came from Egypt. I mean, like maybe the Italians hadn't discovered Carrara yet. Well, yeah, but they were building. That's where big stone was built because of the pyramids. And they cut the stone over there. Those columns didn't come in one piece. They're 39 feet tall. 
and they weighed 60 tons and they, they came in sections. But, you know, they had to roll them all the way to the Nile and then get them on a barge or some sort of, and then get them over to Italy. Up the Tiber. Uh, up the Tiber. But again, as you mentioned last night, Egypt was part of the Roman Empire. Right. So I guess it was a group group effort. Group effort. We're building this little building in Rome. Bring us your best marble from the Nile, from Egypt, it probably and bring took, it up the it Nile. It probably took quite a while. Imagine, you think? What, what was your job for 40 years? <laughs> I, I, I moved a half a column for the Pantheon <laughs> over 40 years. Oh, my God. It's mind-blowing. Anyway, the interior will stop you in your tracks as well. It's stunning. And if you're lucky enough to be in Rome one spring, any spring on April 21st, do whatever you can to get inside the Pantheon because if it's a sunny day, and this is not just rumor, it happens. It's kind of like what happens in St. Peter's. The sun hits the tabernacle at a certain time, certain day, but in the Pantheon, on April 21st, on a sunny day, the sun shines down like midday through the open-air oculus and hits the metal grate above the entrance door, and that fills the entire courtyard with light. And the oculus, top center of this unbelievable dome, was left open deliberately, open to the elements, rain, you name it, because it's a direct access to the gods above. It's now a Catholic church, which holds services weekly. So however you get yourself in there, one way or the other, just do it because it's astonishing. It is. It is. The rest of the first full day in Rome included more walking, gelaterias, and dinner that night at a pizzeria at the base of Piazza Minanelli, which is right down the street from the Spanish Steps. And a lot of people even refer to this Piazza Minanelli as Spanish steps or, you know, Piazza Spagna, Mm -hmm. but it's technically not. And this rectangular piazza is so, so stunning. These buildings are stately and similar looking and they have the same shutters. You don't normally see shutters on these big buildings and they're deep in color. The whole thing is beautiful. And two of the buildings are happen to be Valentino, a Valentino showroom and their headquarters Ah, for Rome. So, I mean- just beautiful. And then at one end of the piazza is a very, very large marble column. And on top is a statue in bronze of the Immaculate Conception, the Virgin Mary. So we sat at this pizzeria and had the most visual treat of eating outside in the warm weather, looking at this piazza, quiet as could be, and there was a family next door to us with this cute dog, and we're all dog lovers. So the next thing you know, we're like, chat, 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 chat. <laughs> and the boys were maybe high school age, and they were trying their English. It was such a nice, perfect evening. But the best part, after our pizza and wine, and maybe we had an Aperol spritz before, I don't remember, we decided to run it all off by running up La Rampa. So since, as I described, that this rectangular piazza is so close to Piazza Spagna, there is a rampa, another set of stairs, but it curves up. And I wish I had thought to count the stairs because, as I mentioned, there's 135 steps to the Spanish steps, but this I didn't count. And I tried to research it and could not find the amount. 
But I think there's more steps because it curves. And when you get to the top, you are, you're standing at the base of the obelisk Salustano, the Spanish steps below you, the church above you, and you just ran up these steps completely out of breath. And then, boom, there you are with this just unbelievable view. And you feel good about getting another gelato right after No, I think we had enough for that day. Anyway, La Rampa, I highly recommend that. And I highly recommend looking or visiting all of the 13 obelisks in Rome. We could actually do an entire episode on them. I find them super interesting. We should. And, you know, how many single pieces of stone that are carved that become obelisks. I mean, the whole thing is... Uh, that was a, probably a multi-generational effort to get that from wherever it was carved. Right. Okay, we'll Rome. do an episode one one time on obelisks. Sure. For you obelisk addicts out there. Okie dokie. <laughs> Finally, I'm going to end this episode with the Vespatoire I mentioned in the last episode. So early the next morning, Sally and Samantha took a three-hour Vespatoire where they rode behind the drivers. Each person had a helmet on and a mask. But they rode behind these very nice, really funny, very informed, engaging Italian young men. So I went with them to meet the drivers and the owner of this uh, business. And they were so nice and so fun. And Samantha and Sally Ann were like, okay, this is going to be good. (laughs) They were a little easy on the eyes. They were really nice, nice looking young Italian men. Who doesn't want to ride on a Vespa <laughs> holding on? And and the one guy was so cute. He goes, and now uh, you will hold a here. And he met, you know, pats his stomach. And Samantha's like, okay, no problem. Ladies, you all have a hall pass to go for a Vespa ride. <laughs> But in Rome. the best part is they told me later that night that it wasn't like a canned tour. These guys are Italians, very proud of their Roman history and their heritage. And it wasn't like a spiel that they just gave. And here's the Colosseum built in, blah, blah, by whomever. They said it, they were so engaged and so enthusiastic. And it literally... The three hours flew by. The only detriment to their specific tour was that it was the same weekend I mentioned of the G20. So Biden going to the Vatican and St. Peter's caused all kinds of traffic. So they couldn't follow the route that they were going to do. But they, you know, on the fly, took them through Trastevere. And then there would be another, you know, um, manifestazione, a protest about something. So It was a challenge for these guys for sure, but they made the most of it. So I went back to the same place I met them in the morning to wait for them to return because I was paying via PayPal. (laughs) And they had asked me to meet them in the morning and then again in the afternoon at Piazza Augusto Imperatore, which, as the name implies, is Augustus the Emperor's Piazza because that is where he is entombed in the mausoleum. And this piazza is under a years-long renovation, but it is going to be spectacular because while I was waiting, I was reading about it. Remember how we discussed that every time there's a building being renovated in 
a big city like Rome, they actually have a design of what it will look like, you know, like a printed fabric. Right, goes on the outside. Right, so this Augusto Imperatore Mausoleum had all the information about how it's going to be finished, whenever that is. And when it is, I'm sure it's going to be incredible because it's one of the biggest piazzas in Rome. But you couldn't tell that from all the construction. Right, right. So anyway, I was waiting for them, reading all this stuff. And then I saw them coming from the far end of the piazza and the smiles on Sally Ann and Samantha's face underneath their helmet. And they even had to have the mask on, but I could see just from the, you know, their, their eyes, eyes. Their eyes were lit like, up. Like, woohoo, what a day. They literally had the best time, learned so much. And these young guys were funny and nice. And I just thought, that is the thing to do. I want to do that next time we go back. You can go on the back. Maybe they have women that drive, Tom. Okay. <laughs> Little Valentino miniskirt, pair of boots. I'm in. <laughs> oh, I'll ask. Okay. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, so they said that night at dinner that they thought that was the best day of the trip. And then all of a sudden, well, hold on. I don't know. Maybe the truffle hunting day in Tuscany with Pierre Paolo and Spugna. So loved it, loved it, loved it. And the next morning, Samantha had to leave bright and early for the trip to the airport back to the States. And we arranged for a van to come get her. He was right on time. We said, ciao, ciao. And then Sally and Charlene and I stayed one more day. We filled it with the same amazement we had the two days before. And I think we probably walked nine or 10 miles that day, which is most likely the average that an enthusiastic traveler does in Rome per day. You don't don't realize how far you've gone. No. And you're not tired because you know. Until until you've consumed a lot of pasta and you get on the scale and you get home (laughs) and you've lost three pounds. (laughs) Right. But anyway, so as I mentioned, I returned later to Rome during this road trip, top to bottom, with Kitten Club 2, the second group, where Tommaso was included as well. And we spent many more days in Rome, so we will get back to Rome in an upcoming episode. For now, that's it. And I just want to talk a teeny bit for a minute about our group trips. And that's because I had a few inquiries since I mentioned the group trips last episode. And those questions were along the lines of, when is your next group trip? How many cities are you going to? What regions are you going to, et cetera? So the scoop is, I do not pre-plan group trips. The way it works is when people get in touch with me, six friends or family, we have a conversation about where they'd like to go or where they haven't been. It's all about making them happy. And if they've never been to Italy, and I suggest all kinds of options. In other words, what are your Italian goals? Okay. <laughs> what are your goals for Italia in 2022? For the best vacation ever. Anyway, so it flows from there, but it takes time to coordinate a group trip for six. And I say six because i that's the best size. If there's less people, that's great. It'll just cost more per person. But six is a perfect size to be driven in a van or take trains, et cetera, small flights, whatever. But it just flows from there. You get in touch with me and I make it happen. 
And that's that. Allora. Allora. <laughs> Our next episode is on Matera. It was my first time there. It's in the region of Basilicata. And most people know of it now because of the new James Bond movie. But it was even better than the movie. <laughs> it was Da Morire. Mm. <laughs> like the name of the Bond movie. No time to die. It was to die for. Anyway, that will be our next episode. And once again, grazie mille for sharing the love, spreading the word. Everything is molto buono. Grazie mille, friends. Thank you so much. Bravo. I'm still getting Tom to try and learn to roll his tongue. Can't <laughs> Never going to do it. Okay. Never, never, never. Okay. Grazie mille. Ci sentiamo la settimana prossima. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.